Independence Day, UK. I'm Alicia, a junior doctor working in the United Kingdom. This is my co-host, Jonathan. Hi. And this is my little dog, Delilah. <coughs> we talk all things medicine, medical school, and healthcare related. From improving your application to surviving on the wards, we want to bring you on the journey with us. So listen closely, because we're about to spill the tea. So, hi Harriet, welcome to Medics Day UK. Hello. Hey, um, I'd like to know how you're doing and if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are and what you do. Okay, so my name's Harriet and I am 25 for one more week. Um, I am a final year medical student, well, almost doctor. Um, and I'm currently in shielding due to having severe asthma to prevent me getting coronavirus. That is a good introduction. And we know each other from medical school, don't we? Yes. (laughs) Perfect. So thank you for joining us today. Um, Just so everyone knows, we are doing this in isolation. We're using lots of technology to um, communicate. (laughs) It got a bit complicated, didn't it? Yeah. (laughs) But we're here now and that's what counts. So, um, got a few questions for you, Harriet. Um, let's start at the beginning. Could you tell us a bit about your journey to medical school? So, how did you get here? Um, yeah, so mine is a bit, um, probably a bit different from the standard story. So, I originally applied in my final year of uh, sixth form, um, and I got four straight rejections. Um my my teachers told me they'd predict me three A's, but actually predicted me two A's and a B. So I got four straight rejections, no interviews. Ah, oh, that's then, not great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then I sort of decided, oh, I don't want to study medicine anymore. Um, and the and I I decided to take a gap year, and I then realised after the deadline for the next round of applications had closed that actually no I really did want to study medicine um but once the deadline's gone you you can't change things um so I had to do some resits anyway because I didn't get quite good enough grades and so I did those in the summer of my gap year so that was 2013 and sort of a week before um a week before results day I emailed every medical school in the country saying um about me about what had happened um and my mum had been really ill with breast cancer throughout my sixth form and so that had quite a a big impact on me and I just included as much evidence as I could like from from work experience from like a few references and Plymouth got back to me saying well if you get your grades come for an interview um and I did and here I am um so that's kind of how how I got got into med school um it's a wee bit different I did not realize that um you came through so was it clearing yeah oh that's so cool you don't hear many people getting into medical school through clearing yeah interesting I think that was the year that Plymouth had split from Exeter and so there was about I think there were quite a lot of us, at least maybe 12 or 13, who got in through clearing. Ah, that's so cool. Yeah. 
So, so I feel very lucky. Yeah, definitely. That is such an amazing opportunity. It's almost unheard of. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. And so you said about your grades were AAB. What subject did they predict you would be in? So it was it was chemistry, um, of course, the bane of my life. The one that gets everyone, I think. <laughs> yeah, the subject no one willingly wants to take and they just take it to, to get into med school. Yeah, and I don't know how you feel, but I don't feel like it's particularly helpful at medical school. No, I can't remember any any chemistry, to be honest. Yeah, I'm not sure I've ever used a titration in my life, to be honest, or if I'd even <laughs> be able to do one again. <laughs> Oh, okay. And then when you got your grades, was it chemistry that pulled you down? Um, what the first time round, yeah, it, it was. In fact, I think I think I might have got A B B, so A in psychology and then B's in biology and chemistry. Um mm. but specifically the areas, it was like the practicals. Mm. Um because I think a lot of schools they work quite hard to get, you know, most students end up getting full marks or close to full marks and at my school they were very very strict and for some reason everyone came out with not great marks which it definitely pulled everyone down um but luckily I I managed to redo those and redid a couple of papers and you know got my grades in the end so yeah took a little while but got there in the end I think that's the thing with medicine though isn't it it's definitely a marathon actually it's an mm. ultra marathon it's not just a normal marathon yeah. and if you try and sprint it it just it just doesn't work no, <laughs> it really doesn't <laughs> oh amazing um so um what do you wish you knew before coming to medical school and if you could go back to the beginning would you do it all again I I wish that I had known um sort of I think there was there's a lot of misconceptions about applying to med school like I remember being told by my teachers that you couldn't take any retakes you could only apply once um that and there were so many different things and it wasn't until after I'd got the rejections and then later on actually contacted medical schools directly and so many of them said yeah we're, we're happy to take people through uh, having had retakes um, it shows real determination. Um, I was told that you'd never get a place through clearing, which actually, um, you know, I did. And I took great satisfaction from going back and telling them that I'd gotten through clearing. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I think, um, you know, I think what I didn't realise was so important is actually working with your teachers to, like, make your application as good as it can be which I don't necessarily feel happens for me um and I think I'd really encourage people who are thinking about applying um to really work with their teachers start early on um things like with things like work experience um try and get it in a variety of different settings um and like it's not just about how much medicine you do it's about you know learning how to to be able to talk to people and about how to communicate with a range of different people um as well so I think it's all also about 
you know, just in terms of uni generally, actually having life experience as well, because I, I had a gap year. I went um, to Canada for four months and um, and um, trained to be a ski instructor and living, you know, how many thousands of miles away from my family and stuff when it came to being at uni and okay I'm a couple of hundred miles away it was I already knew it was doable um and I think a lot of people think when it comes to medicine it's you know five they think oh it's five years it's such a long time I need to I need to um get through it as soon as I can and actually I think you need to to value the time that you have because you're never going to get that back yeah yeah definitely I think it's like really inspiring and also really good for other people to hear that not only did you have to do resets but that you also came through clearing because I just think there are so many rumors and myths that are passed down through the years between university and GCSEs and it just really puts a lot of pressure on people because I've done some resets in my time and I remember the first time not getting a grade I wanted I hysterically cried because I was like oh no I've got a reset I'm never gonna get into medical school yeah but most people I speak to have reset something at some point Which is so crazy. So you're definitely breaking all the borders there. <laughs> and, and also things like everyone says, oh yeah, your GCSEs really matter. You have to get X number of A stars and you can't get anything below an A. And I just turned to people and said, I don't, I didn't get any A stars. I um I did I didn't do it. Looking back, I really didn't do a lot of work for my GCSEs. Um so you know, my most people would say that my grades were, you know, half decent, but I know that had I actually worked, I could have done a lot better. But you yeah. know, that didn't prevent me getting into med school. I mean, okay, I um if I'd wanted to go to a very um somewhere considered very prestigious, like Oxbridge imperial ucl somewhere like that yes your grades do matter Mm. but in the whole grand scheme of getting into med school actually if you if you don't do as well in them you you there will probably be a place that that will will accept you yeah definitely definitely how about work experience you said you were a ski instructor but um did you do any other work experience yeah so i did my first lot of sort of medical work experience um just after my GCSEs and that was arranged through um my mum my mum's friend is a lead one of the lead nurses at the special care baby unit at the John Radcliffe hospital hospital in Oxford and I arranged to um go with her for a few days um so to it well it's it's what they call the NICU um special care baby unit and um so that was sort of my first ever experience of being in a hospital Mm. um surrounded by these really tiny tiny very sick babies um and I think it was just quite a a shock really because I think a lot of people you know when you imagine a hospital you imagine elderly people and this is like right at the other end of the spectrum Mm, yeah um so that was one of the things I did um I then did some work experience um, which was arranged through actually through my mum's consultant when, as I mentioned earlier, she was having treatment for breast cancer. And that consultant was so supportive and she said, look, I know it can be quite difficult to get work experience in a lengthy process. I'm happy to 
help you organize them mm. and um um so where i am from there's just a very small district hospital and um she basically found me a list of all these different clinics and then said i basically ended up just going and asking all the consultants oh can i come and sit in with you which so it was kind of a almost sort of quite cobbled together um but I was lucky that I had those contacts who were able to get me that work experience Mm. and then just generally I did some volunteering I used to be um like a young leader with the local brownies um I did some volunteering at the 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 center where my mum had chemo um and I used to do like a lot of babysitting and stuff and and so that was kind of the more medical side of things. And then I've also had like a variety of different jobs. Like most summers I've worked, I've had a job. Um, mm. And I think actually even having experience, which isn't um, necessarily medical, it's, you know, working with people, learning to talk and communicate with people is actually really important because that is the main part I think of of being a, do- a doctor learning how to you know have a conversation about like, sometimes it's really mundane things um and I think that's what a lot of people don't have especially if they've come straight from school mm, yeah so even if if you've done had a job or something you know you've done work experience but it hasn't been medical I think you still learn a lot from it yeah yeah did you do any care work experience like did you work in a care home because that was a rumor I heard is that you had to work in a care home otherwise you just yeah would not be I, I like I I didn't have any um I had um I I'd heard those rumors as well or that you had to like work in a pharmacy or in yeah a care home or be an HCA or something mm. um and to be honest um, I feel really awful saying this, but a sort of care job is something that I really struggle with. The idea of doing like all that sort of personal care type thing is is something that I would think I would find extremely difficult. And then so that sort of thing I, I shied away from. Mm. Um, and that's why a lot of you know you, people fear the classic question, um, oh, why... Um, or have you considered nursing if medicine doesn't work out? And I knew that nursing wasn't something I could do, not because I saw it as an inferior job, but from work experience, I'd seen the role and I knew that that was not something I would be able to do. And from my own experiences of being a patient, I have so much respect for nurses, like so much respect. And Mm. they are incredible. They do such an amazing job and you know, that is, that is not something I could do. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think I, I agree that uh, there is that misconception that you have to have done a care, care job. And I think if you can get it, then it's a really good thing to do. But I wouldn't say it's essential to yeah. getting into med school. Yeah, I want to know who's starting all these rumours, though, because it's definitely not medical students who are starting them, because that would no. be the weirdest lie to tell. So, yeah. like, whoever they are, if you're listening, stop, because yeah. it, you're just causing loads of stress to teenagers who don't need it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we've gone through getting to medical school um, and your journey there. Um 
can you tell us a bit about your experience through medical school? Because I think yours is a bit different to other people's. Yeah, so my it, my time at med school has not been straightforward. It's been quite turbulent. Um, so the background to this is I've had quite significant mental health or mental illness for quite some time. Um, towards the end of my A-levels and during my gap year, I was quite unwell with anorexia. Um, and in fact, it was when I was probably at my most unwell when I went out to Canada. Um, looking back, I'm still amazed that I was allowed to go and because um, at that point I was quite unwell, quite underweight. Um, and um, so it was something I was still struggling with quite a lot when I started med- medical school. Mm. And um, before I started, I had an assessment with occupational health to check I was well enough to um to study and um and, and and I was and in fact that's that same doctor is who I'm still under right now so that's kind of one part of it and then I've also struggled a lot with depression anxiety and at times self-harm as well so year one and two were they weren't extremely straightforward but in if you look at the whole course of my career as a medical student they were probably the most straightforward years Mm. um I was lucky enough to have quite a lot of support from local services in terms of the local eating disorder service I saw them in my first year and in fact my second year um and I was having therapy with them the medical school themselves has an amazing team of pastoral tutors who were, who have been extremely supported throughout. And um, my occupational health consultant, again, is very, very supportive. Mm. Um, so yeah, first first two years were have their ups and downs. Um, I think it was, it was mainly second year that I started struggling with self-harm quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, years one and two are quite preclinical. So although it's something I was struggling with, it didn't have as much impact in my ability to practice as a medical student because clinical time was quite limited Mm. um it was in my third year that um my depression got was starting to get um quite bad the self-harming got worse um and I was so I think I was so scared that I was going to get chucked out if I talked to people about it that um I sort of I was always honest but at the same time I think I was very very worried about how it'd be perceived or things would be misunderstood Mm. and um at the time I sort of had I had this blog which was like part of a like a mental health support system mm-hmm. on a it was a, like a, on a blogging site and um my my friends at the time were aware of it and they found it no idea how because I made a lot of effort to make it sort of untraceable to me but they mm-hmm. found it in the end and what they found was quite concerning mm-hmm. um and so they um raised concerns with the medical school and um they fitness to practice um procedures were initiated 
And um, so it was in the, so February of um, 2016, so um, my third year, I was suspended on fitness practice grounds on account of my health and the fact that I, they said I didn't have the insight to recognise the impact of my health on other people. Mm. Um, And then in the March, I had a formal fitness to practice panel and they decided that I needed to suspend the rest of the year. Um, And at, at the time, it was, I really couldn't see why it was happening and you know I'd looked at all the good medical practice and everything and I was like I've been honest I've you know shown that I'm engaging and actually recently I've had to look back at that time to go forward you know applying for my GMC registration because you have to declare fitness to practice stuff and it's actually looking back and reading back through some of the stuff it's actually quite horrifying (laughs) and more so that I wasn't aware of how unwell I was at that time and Mm. the lack of insight yeah um so then sort of going forward I then restarted my third year in the September and um that year went pretty well Um, I had quite a relapse into my eating disorder that year which yeah it made things harder but at this at the same time I kind of even though I had that going on, I kind of powered through and, and got through the year okay. Mm. Um, and then fourth year, I was... Oh, wait a minute, that, that third year was also... Um, that was when my asthma got really bad. Um, <laughs> I Before then, I'd had, like, really mild asthma. And then suddenly, I think it was, like, the November, I, I was on placement and I just started having this asthma attack. And, like, I'd never... I'd never really even had a proper asthma attack. I just had, you know, wheeziness. And this was, I ended up in A&E and, you know, quite unwell with it. And it just came completely out of the blue. Mm. And then over the next two months or so, I'd had, um, you know, multiple hospital admissions. I'd avoided ICU by the skin of my teeth. Um, really? Yeah, wow. I, I had a... Um, you know, I was living with medics and they were my, my closest friends and I've I've got um a picture of a, a selfie I took of myself at like two AM in recess, which I I was it, it came up on like my time hop or something and I have no recollection of taking that photo. <laughs> and I was talking to my housemate and he said, Yeah, you were in a really bad way. Um apparently I was completely exhausted and the 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 consultant turned to my housemate and said just so you know if this goes on much longer we're gonna have to intubate her because she's knackered and that is looking back that is quite scary um and so that was kind of an an added stress on top of things um but luckily we managed to get all of that under control with medication reviews and some input from my consultants and stuff so that has you know, it it has its peaks and its troughs, it troughs mm. the asthma. I'll go, you know, now, currently I've been, I think, eight months since my last big attack. Um, and I am, um, and I'm so I'm praying that it's um, completely under control. Um, mm-hmm. 
but so yeah back to third year so I feel like I'm going a bit all over the place and stuff so this is why I explain that it's been quite turbulent and um, <laughs> all over the place because a lot has happened um yeah. so back to fourth year um it started out okay um then in the autumn I got quite unwell with glandular fever um and then I had some really bad chest infections and so I sort of had been knocked down already um mm. And then in the December, so this was December 2017, um, I, you know, it was just, it was the sort of second to last week of term. I was in town and I got a call from my mum saying, you need to come back home now because your dad's in recess with a suspected bleed on the brain. Mm. Um and you know being a medic that you kind of your head's going from between okay this could be a relatively minor stroke to this could be a catastrophic brain hemorrhage mm. um but I think part of me knew that you know if she's telling me I have to come back now this is not good mm. um so I remember I jumped in the car I drove home which is about a four hour drive got to the hospital and my mum sat me down and basically said he'd had this massive aneurysm which had burst and caused a, a catastrophic yeah, brain hemorrhage, which is not something he could have recovered from. Mm. Um, so that um, was a very, very difficult time. Mm. Um, not only in the sort of immediate... In, in the immediate time but um I mean it still affects me now and mm. you know it, it was very odd because it was like my personal life and my professional life had completely collided um mm. and um it's had an impact in in medical school in terms of I I um in the following months I had a a neurology placement I had an ICU placement I then had a two-week palliative care placement mm. and so there's a lot of teaching around end of life and you know giving people a good death and sort of that like that and I remember feeling very ang- angry that it's like well no it doesn't always happen like that and um uh, our med school at fourth year is a big year because you end up doing you do your finals at the end of fourth year and so I was having to sort of cope with my dad having died, my mum being 200 miles away, the rest of my family even further away, trying to um, prepare for finals while also training for a big bike ride. Um, And it was like, I think, you know, I just threw myself into everything um, Mm. just to distract my brain from all of that. Mm. Um, So... I got through fourth year somehow um and then fifth year started Mm -hmm. and I started struggling more and more with my depression Mm -hmm. um and it was getting worse and originally everyone was like oh it's just bereavement making everything worse and I tried to get bereavement counselling, but I was told I was too complex. Um, and because of my existing mental health 
problems. Um, and things were just getting worse and worse and worse. And from my previous experience with the fitness practice stuff, I was very aware of how I was doing and the potential impact of all of this, like what could happen. And the fitness practice experience was so, so horrendous. I didn't want to go through it again. Mm. Um, And, oh yeah, yeah. Another thing that I've neglected to mention is that I, that, that, so this would have been the December, 2018. I had surgery um, for a condition called lipedema. Um, so I had to take some time off for that and that's quite, it's quite, um, it's not invasive, but it's for someone with quite significant existing body image issues. Um, it was quite a difficult surgery to go through. Um, so that's put another strain on my mental health. And so throughout from sort of January to February, things were just getting worse and worse but I was always I was very clear with the medical school and with occupational health that you know at each stage where I was you know not necessarily going into explicit detail but saying look this this is what the situation is this is what I'm doing about it um and this is what I'm going to do to to keep note of it um Mm. to show that I had that insight I had that um that's ability to that awareness of what was going on um and it got to February sort of towards the end of February and things were just getting so bad and I ended up saying look I don't think I'm well enough to be in placement because I I couldn't concentrate my mood was so low that I could you know I could only really just do sort of day-to-day basic functioning my ability to sort of see anywhere beyond like the next week ahead was was non-existent um and it came to to the sort of start of March and I went sort of downhill very very quickly um I was extremely suicidal I um was sort of I, I stopped leaving the house I stop doing any self-care I was barely eating I stopped taking all my medication um and um in the course of about five days I was seen by the mental health the duty mental health team who referred to me to the home treatment team and then they did a mental health act assessment and then I was sectioned Mm. Um, on March 14th, 2019. Um, and um, I think that was probably one of the worth, worst experiences of my life. Like the experiences I had while I was in hospital um, were terrible, mm. absolutely terrible. Um, in what way were they so bad? could you um so things like when I was transferred because the unit I was in was in Hertfordshire and like I 
remember being so desperate to try and get out of the situation that I we had to stop at a service station and I remember they were like do you want to go to the loo and I was like yes I do and just pelting out of the van trying to just literally, literally run for my life because and then just ending up being pinned on the in the car on the floor on the car park of a service station oh my goodness and uh, yeah experiences like that having been then while I was in hospital I, I stopped eating completely and they ended up having to forcibly ng feed me like again like you know having four or five people pin you down in a chair um and um you know I had been sectioned to basically keep me safe and basically yeah in a safe place and it gave me some yeah some of the worst experience experiences ever which yeah still affect me quite a lot now um Mm. so I ended up being in hospital for nearly two months um and in the process of that having already missed a few weeks because of my surgery and I remember realizing that even if I did get back to med school and you know completed the rest of my placements I would not be able to do enough to complete them and the stress it would have caused me to um to to try and complete them was you know in my heart of hearts I knew that if anything that was gonna make send me backwards again yeah it would be that um and so it was probably one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make but again I I didn't I wanted it to be on my terms because Mm -hmm. otherwise there would it would have been a a fitness to practice Mm. thing again and I (laughs) I didn't want that um so in the end it it was quite simple um I just had to speak to my academic tutor and, and and that was that really um and then, so I had to come back, restart fifth year. Mm-hmm. Um, and... That's when we meet. <laughs> yeah, we, well, yeah, we met, actually, so we, we have elect, elective, so term started in October, and actually, um, my, I had another sort of point of crisis um, in October, just before our first placement was due to start and um I ended up in in hospital again um in in like general hospital in Dereford um and uh from that that was so it it was an attempt and it was quite a um yeah a a bad experience I I have about a 24-hour period where I I can't remember what what happened um and again, I, I had to, there were lots of meetings and things and I had to fight to, to stay on the course this year. They, they said, well, we recommend you take another interruption. And I remember just saying, if that happens, I don't think I could come back mm. to med school because the thought of doing another year, mm. you know, this is my seventh year of med school. The thought of doing another year was just almost intolerable. Um, 
like at that point I was like I, I don't even know if I want to be a doctor anymore I just want this degree and I just want it to be done with it mm. um and so I I fought and I you know it was it's it has been extremely extremely difficult um I yeah there have been times where I I thought I was going to have another crisis, like multiple occasions, and just that terror and sheer thought of a ending up in hospital again, um, having like the fitness to practice, um, or just you know being completely chucked out and having wasted the last six years of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have managed to get through it, um, and. Um, I and it ha- it has been hard but considering like all the way through I have managed to despite still being in quite a I would say quite a fragile state of my mental health like it's always been very up in the air something that I sort of I, I feel like I, I am very open about it but at the same time I do try and sort of put on that mask and I um but like psychological mask and I um sort of what's going on inside and what I would you know display to the outside world are very very different um Mm. and then the whole covid situation happened um yeah and here we are here we are (laughs) yeah I feel like rather than doing an ultra marathon you've been doing like an ultra hurdles (laughs) <laughs> yeah I feel like I think you know what happened where they that you do an ultra marathon and it's like okay well so that was like part one and now we have to do it 26 point something times yeah a marathon of ultra marathon <laughs> um but you're still you're still going and you're pretty much almost there aren't you I saw you completed your last assessments a few days yeah, ago yeah I have uh, yes yeah, so it was on Thursday um I have so we, I don't know if Alicia's um, explained in her other podcast, which I really should listen to. Um, <laughs> Glad you're not a number one fan. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, so we have a, in fifth year, we have a certain number of assessments we have to complete. Um, some of them are practical skills, some of them are presentations, some of them are patient examinations. And they're done by block. Um, and so for the most recent block, um, I had done one case presentation of two and I hadn't done either of my clinical examinations and I had um, a few practical skills I still needed to get signed off mm. and at the whole as the whole Covid situation became more uncertain and it wasn't very clear about whether or not we were going to be able to continue placements and so the medical school put in place quite a comprehensive plan to get all fifth years um, assessments signed off before placements were ended however for me because I have severe asthma before all these um all these um sessions and extra things were put in place I'd been advised to social distance so what I was told was avoid I could still go outside but avoid all ascent um, all but essential contact with other people 
and I'd been told not to go into placement so no I couldn't go into placement and going in really to an environment where there were lots of people wasn't an option so I couldn't go to those extra sessions at the time I, I told the med school all of this because and you know sent them the evidence from my GP and they said yeah don't worry about it you won't be disadvantaged um and so I took that to mean um, don't worry about getting these assessments. Don't worry about it. It's fine. You're not physically able to do them, so you don't need to worry about it. Um, and I uh, so thought nothing else of it. And then my academic tra- transcript came through, and it basically it, I was told that I, you need to get these assessments done. Um, cue massive meltdown. Um, anyway, the lead for clinical skills was amazing, and he arranged for me to do them via zoom um basically talking through them all all but one which is catheterization um and basically the powers that be said that no i needed to show evidence that i could actually do it so to overcome this they are going on monday they're going to deliver me an anatomically correct model and all the kit um and then i'm going to do it via zoom um (laughs) so that will be my last thing the last thing and then <laughs> and then are you completely done? done yeah then I'll be done uh, I still have to do my prescribing exam but that that doesn't that doesn't contribute to um to the degree so mm. um yeah I'll be yeah you're quite lucky done. there because do you know some medical schools require you to pass it to pass the year yeah yeah yeah, yeah. my friend at Newcastle she says that they have to pass it to um to, to pass you. yeah that's crazy isn't it so you've escaped lightly after all yeah. that <laughs> yeah I mean it's the, the, the PSA is going to be like the day after my birthday but considering all I'm going to be doing is being inside like every other day um you know it, it's it I'm less upset about it now than I was before when I thought I was gonna have to spend my birthday weekend revising <laughs> if it makes you feel better I did the SJT on my birthday so oh okay I think that's worse yeah it was pretty bad (laughs) um so do you have any advice for medical students or doctors for when they face adversity um first of all no I know uh, when you're in that place you can feel very alone and very isolated and um and I think that is a very it is a very understandable natural feeling but and when you're in that place it can be it is very difficult to see that you're not alone but you are most definitely not alone and you are not the first person to feel like that and you will not be the last um I think there is a culture among medicine and often by the public um that doctors and medical professionals are a whole are superhuman mm. and I think that's definitely been um almost um, ex- um accentuated at the moment by you know our NHS heroes and etc etc and saying like oh yeah that the job they're doing is amazing but I think you know maybe people don't think of the the impact that has and the pressure um that is to kind of you know just be like you have all these horrendous experiences and you should just 
it should be like water trickling off a, du a duck's back you know you should just be able to deal with it and actually know doctors and medical prof professionals are human too yeah um i would say advice to other people um do not be afraid to reach out be that to your peers to pastoral support um even seeing your gp um because the earlier you recognize or the earlier you reach out the the sooner you can get support in place um and i think you know that there is still a lot of stigma around mental illness um mm. and there is a lot of you know it, you can feel weak or you feel like a failure which you know many medics are perfectionists and that's part of what gets them um into med school in the first place um but in the end if you try and ignore it or you think oh it'll just get better and you're on it on its own um it won't it won't go mm. away and the only way that you can help manage it or overcome it is to reach out for the help um and you know that that is a really difficult thing to do it's not an, mm. it, it's easy to say but it's really not an easy thing to do um yeah i think it's really important in a like, preventative way yeah you catch it early that's some really good advice um do you have any tips for people who want to improve their applications um quite often we hear from people who keep asking what the secret is to getting into medical school or what's going to make them special do you have any advice um oh it's a difficult one um I would say don't let the experience of others knock you down because there are lots of horror stories out there about applying to med school and as I like said earlier about um about you know all these rumors from teachers i think the one one first thing is be honest um don't make stuff up because it will just come back to bite you um and try and think less about the medicine but how you can apply any experiences you've had to like what what's gonna make you a good doctor um in terms of things like interview preparation um don't read the end the like interview prep books because then you'll just sound like an like a machine like because everyone else has read those books um yeah yeah that's definitely really good advice did you do the interviews this year did you interview applicants um i did them last year like the multiple mini interviews um yeah which i remember was very odd experience um yeah yeah you can tell when there's like a common theme of an answer but if someone gives like a different answer my attention would be super grasped you know yeah absolutely and it's just simple things like keeping up to date with the news and um in terms of like healthcare stuff um you know if something it really in medicine really interests you like research about it learn about it because then that's something that you can talk about um yeah and 
yeah, it's, yeah, being a, a doctor definitely isn't just about the medicine, it's about the human side of things as well, not just for yourself, but also for your patients, because in the end, a lot of what you're dealing with is is that it's not just what's wrong with mm. someone and how to make them better. Yeah, that's really good advice. And to inspire people, what are your future career plans? What are you thinking? Um, I've never well, asked I, you this question before, so I actually have no idea what you're going to say. Um, <laughs> so in an ideal world, I would like to go into paediatric anaesthetics. Um, that's super specialist. It is. Um, so that's what I did for my elective. I went to Manchester Children's Hospital for eight weeks. And um, the team there are amazing I had such an amazing time. Um, yeah, there's there's no other there's no better way of getting your can, uh, cannulation skills up to scratch. By um, I think the youngest I, I cannulated was a a two year old, um, and the youngest I intubated was a six year old. Um, so yeah, I um because I, I came to the conclusion maybe two years ago that I really hated ward rounds and clinics. So mm. that kind of very much narrowed the field um, mm. of the options. So I, yeah, I love anaesthetics. I love that as an anaesthetist, you still get to do a lot of practical stuff. Whereas in terms of what I've seen from medicine, um, you don't really get to do that. Um, surgery has never really appealed to me. Um, partly because I have horrendous depth perception and that's just so a surgical career isn't really an option. Um, <laughs> so yeah, ideally at pediatric anaesthetics, I really enjoy working with kids. Um, although with kids, it, it's not just about the children, it's about the, the parents as well. Um, and it's about being a team to help the experience go smoothly for both the parents and, and the child yeah oh amazing that'll be really cool I think that sounds like a really exciting future career yeah. for me I'm very ooh, my maths is a bit dodgy not like because I can't do maths but I get really worried about decimal places so <laughs> I feel like I scratched off anesthetics for that reason so I mean I think my maths isn't isn't great my dad was a maths teacher and I definitely did not inherit his maths ability <laughs> um <laughs> so funny <laughs> that's like another myth that you don't have to be really good at maths either no and I I remember saying this to to an anaesthetist and saying look I didn't because he was saying like you should become an anaesthetist and I was like but I can't do maths and he said well the machines work out everything for you and you know you just have to like be able to do some times tables and to be honest you can always use a calculator I was like oh <laughs> oh Okay, then maybe, maybe, maybe this might be an option. Um, that is true. <laughs> also, there was a bit of physics. I remember them talking about yeah. radiuses of a tube or something. And yeah. it kind of blew my mind. <laughs> yeah, and it's to do with like pres pressures and stuff, partial pressures. And I think they, I was, sorry, I was saying about that. And they said, to be honest, it, it's not actually that much beyond GCSE. Um, oh. But the, like, one, one thing that always like gets me is like, I was saying this to my mum the other day, and I was like, all the anaesthetists, everyone always talks about how clever anaesthetists are and I feel like I'm going to be too stupid to be an anaesthetist. Oh. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, that's definitely um, and not it's true. very competitive. So, um, yeah. anyway, I've got a few years before me to um, 
And you're an expert at hurdles as well. So yeah. <laughs> if you want to yeah. do it, you can do it. Yeah. Um, so just got to persevere, I think. Um, yeah. I think the thing is, that, like, it, it always, when everyone says, oh, my God, you've been through so much. In fact, you know, my, my therapist said that to me the other day, like, you've been through so much. And I was like, have I? <laughs> and I was like, the thing is, I don't know any different. Yeah, that's true, actually. And like, this is just my life. And sometimes it is a bit mind blowing that people don't experience stuff like this. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you never know what's going on behind people's closed doors. And you know, what I've learned is never to assume anything about anyone. Um, yeah. And um, because, you know, a lot of people hide it. And despite me being very honest about stuff and very open, I have had a lot of people say to me, wow, I would never have thought that that is something that would have gone yeah yeah no you've definitely handled it very well <laughs> and you. you're almost at the finish line as well you're yes. so close nearly there so close hopefully <laughs> by yeah, I'm sh- hopefully the middle if not the end of next week oh is that what they've said yeah because they're, they're delivering the kit on monday and then um the the clinical skills lead who is honestly a legend he's so nice he said yeah we I want you to be graduated as soon as possible because you deserve it and I was like, oh. it's like it's quite nice having someone believe in you after having so many not recent years but you know leading up to med school basically telling you everyone telling you you can't do it and you're not clever enough to do it um, yeah Aww. but you're almost there and lastly so you mentioned earlier that you're severe asthmatic yeah. tell us a bit about life in isolation because everyone loves talking about corona, at this <laughs> corona. <laughs> yeah um well it is a roller coaster um before this usually I'm a very very outdoors person I spend minimal time inside I you know I think I've probably spent you know I'm 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 always outside doing something or cycling or swimming or going for a walk. Um, so the prospect of spending all my time inside. So I'm doing what's called shielding, um, which is for people who are considered at high risk of developing extreme complications if they were to catch coronavirus. So that means I... Um, basically not allowed to leave the house unless it's for an urgent or no, a necessary appointment so for example I needed some blood tests so I, I was allowed to leave the house it was amazing um <laughs> to go just to go to my GP to have blood test um but yeah so I have been outside once in six weeks um and I actually feel like I've coped a lot better than I was expecting to. Um, I have, there have been days where I've just sat and stared at a wall or just slept through the day. There have been days where I've been really productive and done loads of stuff, um, baking mainly. (laughs) Harriet's Isolation Bakery, always open for business. Um, I've, it's really been a roller coaster and trying to cope with it is it's it's very weird because I think partly 
with the lockdown nationally, a lot of us are in the same situation. I think the difference is that everyone else who's not shielding can go out at least once a day. They can go to the supermarket if they want. Um, um, in terms of coping, I started an Instagram page called The Corona Loner um, to try and document what it is like. Um, and I've actually had a really good response to it. Um, I always worry that people will find me really annoying. Um, and yeah, I've had a lot of people say that they've appreciated my honesty about how it feels and both the ups and the downs and the, you know, especially things like coping with bad news when you're on your own and you can't, like for me, you know, my usual coping mechanisms are not there. And, you know, at times it has been a challenge not to resort to previous negative coping mechanisms because my brain sort of almost goes naturally that direction. But I guess mm. it, it, it has shown me that although things are not perfect, and well, they're never going to be perfect. And, you know, they're not brilliant um, still, actually. But I have come quite far in my ability to cope with difficult situations. Um so, and I think, you know, embracing, I think social media is a, both a blessing and a curse. It can be incredibly supportive, but at the same time, it can be very, um, not toxic, but, you know, especially as there's been a lot about people making the most of um, of isolation to do all those creative things that they um they should be doing or learning a language or you know painting a masterpiece and um you know that that's not helpful for anyone you know some people just getting through the day is an achievement and that's okay and I think that's partly what I wanted to document is that you have your good days you'll have your bad days and it's okay to feel like crap because it's a really rubbish situation um yeah um so I think for me it's just been taking each day as it comes trying to work out as best I can and you know talking to people at at the times where it feels hard and you know admitting that yeah it is shit (laughs) Sorry, I'm mm. not sure if I'm meant to swear. <laughs> no, you can say that. <laughs> um, and um, and that's okay. And also knowing that I'm not the only one in the situation as well. Yeah. So yeah, that is that is me and my story. <laughs> yeah, in a nutshell, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and and believe it or not, that's a very um, pared down, um, minimal minimalistic. Um, <laughs> explanation of everything um yeah and I recommend you check out her Instagram because she's always baking <laughs> <laughs> yeah or I'm usually baking or well no not drinking I drink I drink maybe a couple of times a week um I've been the one thing that has actually been really nice is that having like group so we have a have a weekly gin a party um with some friends which is amazing um you know family zooms which 
you know normally I only get to see my like extended family maybe like once or twice a year so this has actually been really nice because it's almost sort of planted the seed of an idea in our head and hopefully it's something that we'll be able to carry on even once isolation and lockdown's over oh that'd be amazing yeah that'd be so cool yeah. well thank you for talking to us Harriet thank um, you for having insightful. me and listening to me ramble on <laughs> <laughs> no I think it's really interesting and I also think it's really important to talk about the struggles and hurdles and the myths that are created because yeah I don't feel like they're as publicized as much yeah, absolutely they? I think a lot of people think that um if you've got a mental illness or you've been hospitalized or you've been sectioned or you have had any experiences like that you can't be a doctor and you can't study medicine that's absolutely not true um I know doctors who've been sectioned I know um doctors who've been had to stop work because of their mental illness I know many medical students who've had to take time out and I think that's one of the really important things is that I think a lot of people feel a lot of pressure to get through it in the five years and um to like get through it as quickly as possible and actually that's the the worst attitude you can have because it is hard work there are loads of um loads of hoops you have to jump through in boxes you have to tick and that is essentially if you're trying to power through all of that and not take your foot off the off the accelerator then that is just a recipe for burnout Mm. um and in the end you're going to be a doctor your whole life if you if you choose to be you don't have to be you can get you a medical degree and then decide no I don't want to do this um but you it's not something you should rush and you shouldn't be afraid to take time out and it's fine to say actually no I do need a break and that's not just at medical school that's when you're training and that is something I've learned is that it doesn't really matter how long it takes you you will get there in the end um and I know a good few people who've who've had to take interruptions or do resets or restart years or reset years and and that's okay and I think a lot far more people have have had to do it than a lot of people think um yeah definitely so the most important things are to look after yourself and be kind to yourself I'm not very good at that um but it is very important because you know it's a very cliche thing but it is true if you are not able to look after yourself and keep yourself well then you are not able to be a safe clinician and you're not able to look after your patients as they need you to be so in the end that that is what is important yeah I think that's some really good advice to end it on (laughs) well well thank you very much for having me um and um, I'm going to check out the rest of your podcast because um, it sounds amazing and I, um, I'm, uh, I wish I'd found it sooner. Um, <laughs> so, um, and good luck working. Yeah, thanks. Dr. <laughs> Dr. Alicia. <laughs> I know, that sounds so weird. <laughs> Perfect. We'll right. catch you guys soon. All right. Bye-bye.
Thank you for listening to a Medics Day UK podcast. We upload once a week. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. You can follow us on Instagram at Day UK. See you soon.